for leading us in worship, brother. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Phil Connor, a member of the church. We've been going for a lot this summer. My wife and I, Dee, uh, went around uh, up to New York to see some of her family, so we were gone for a pretty good while then. And then she had ankle surgery uh, about two weeks ago, and she has a non-walking cast. I didn't know they did that to people, so she's on a scooter. And that makes it hard for her to get around. So she's at home, I think, if she could get the technology done right, uh, watching on Facebook Live. I think that's correct? Should be. So there we go. So hello, Dee. I hope things are going well back at home. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18. i got a couple of preparatory verses I'll read and then the main portion of the scripture that we'll be reading. But the, and the song was perfect for this message. Uh, but by way of introduction, we live in a time of hypervigilance about personal offense. People are easy to be offended. Uh, they insist on an apology or some kind of compensatory act to, to, for the offended person demands. Uh, if you watch the TV much, you see TV ads. If you drive along the highway, you see billboards advertising, ensuring that the offended party will get all that's due them. Those are usually lawyer ads, and they want some of what's due the offended party to go into their, to their pockets. But they go along, and you know, everybody's a liti litigious. They want to get their due. They want to sue. Uh, kind of an odd thing, I think, is the Cleveland Indians baseball team is now the Cleveland Guardians because a group of people decided that the Cleveland Indians was offensive to Native Americans, even though... In the news, there's a Native American group who says, we want you to turn it back. So these people are offended for people that aren't offended. It's kind of a, I think, a surrogate offense. I'll be offended for you, even though you're not offended. Now, Christianity Today, a few years ago, had an article where they re referenced a counseling center in San Diego. And that count this is an article on forgiveness. That counseling center reported that over half of their counseling clients' cases were around forgiveness issues. I, it didn't go into more detail. I don't think those were issues about how can I be forgiven. My guess is that most of those forgiveness issues was that I'm so angry, I'm so controlled by my, this offense against me, that, and I don't know how to get rid of it that most of the writing around on forgiveness is about how to forgive someone else and be free of, of that resentment and that anger, rather than how on earth can I be forgiven for my sins. If the majority of those counseling clients at the Christian Counseling Center were Christians, that would mean that a majority of them, or around at least half of them, we'll give it, give it that, were struggling not with how to be forgiven, but how to forgive. Not with what offensive have I done that God needs to forgive, but, but how do I get people, how do I uh, grant forgiveness to others? And because of that, we come here, and my guess is today that if we poll this audience, you're not much different than Christians in San Diego. And there's probably people here that are struggling with an offense, a hurt, an anger, an injury that needs to be forgiven, and you just don't know how to do it. And so today we're going to look at Jesus talking about this, and uh, in, this in this passage, uh, Peter comes and says, 
you know, what should we do about forgiving? And so we're going to listen to Peter's question and his and Jesus' response in just a second. But let's go to the Lord now and ask his presence and his purpose in this time. Father God, thanks for the preparation that's been gone, that's been put into this service till today. Lord, practicing and choosing hymns and prayers and people who've come here with an expectation to encounter God. And Lord, we confess that there's nothing that we can do to bring you into this room. That's your grace. God, we thank you for this, your word, which has been inspired and protected and provided to us. And God, as we read it and contemplate it, oh God, speak to hearts. God, speak to hearts through my words. Give me the right words to say, but God, speak to hearts beyond my words in ways that only those who hear can understand. God, be with us now through your Holy Spirit that you will be glorified, that lives will be presented to you, and God will be more like you want us to be. God, please do this now in Jesus' name. So Matthew chapter 18, I'm reading from the New American Standard uh, translation. Uh, it starts off with, this is just kind of my preparatory for what Peter was listening to before he asked his question. Jesus said, if your, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. And so that, so that by the mouth of two or three other witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And then Jesus continues with a couple of other points. But I think Peter's standing over there listening. Some of the, my translation said if someone sins, other translations, King James and some others says, if he sins against you. And I think Peter's standing on the side listening to Jesus. Oh, if my brother sins against me. Now, now who's Peter's brother? Well, Andrew, or maybe he had other brothers, or maybe he's thinking about other brothers in the, in the fellowship of the disciples. Who's my brother? What does he send against me? And Peter begins to ruminate, think, well, what am I supposed to do? Uh, what about this forgiveness stuff? And, and if somebody offends me, what do I do to forgive? And then Jesus, so he goes and asks Jesus, verses 21 and following, I'll read to the end of the passage. So Peter's got this in his mind. Boy, forgiving a brother or a brother forgiving, offending me or against me. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven let that sink in and think like what Peter was thinking. Okay, Verse 23, For this reason, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves 
who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him, and he began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, See if you've heard this before. Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw that what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you plead with me. So you should, so should, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Then Jesus says, verse 35, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. This is God's word. He'll bless us as we read and obey it. So there's the story. Church discipline. My brother sins against me. Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? So the first point we're going to talk about this morning, and we got the new slide presentation up there, the new uh, uh, screen, so that's good. Hope you'll follow along with the notes. So the first question is, forgiveness, how many? How many times do we forgive? That was the question that, that Peter asked Jesus. How many times? Up to seven times. And Peter knew the law. He knew that in Genesis chapter 6, the scripture says, whoever sheds man's blood... By man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made him. This law was for all mankind, not just for the Israelites. They didn't exist at that time in the same way we think of them. They were God. This law made that every human being, if you shed blood, there's no forgiveness. Your blood will be shed. This is the, the institution of capital punishment. That man's made in God's image, and that is so precious so holy it's blasphemous to kill a human being because we're made in the image of god and and god said if a man sheds blood his blood will be shed by man capital punishment no opportunity for for forgiveness then if you flip over to leviticus 24 it says if a man takes the life of any human being he shall surely be put to death the one who takes the life of an animal shall make it good life for life if a man injures his, his neighbor, just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as he has injured a man, so shall he be injured. That's not how it says. So it shall be inflicted on him. If you injure somebody, according to the Old Testament, you get exactly the same injury done to you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. No forgiveness is needed or required, not even advocated. The Old Testament says justice in our social relationships. Then Jesus, and that, so that's the, the covenant law for the Israelites. An exchange of a debt, one for one. Animal kill gets replaced. A person injured gets an identical injury. Uh, now notice, there's good news in the eye for eye, tooth for tooth command. It limits what can be done in retribution. It's not life for eye. It's not I, I can cut off your legs if you stole something from me. It's a one for one. 
And so even though that is harsh, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, even though that's harsh, notice it's protective. It sets a limit on retribution and what others can do back. So the law to us sounds pretty stern, but it's really a control measure. And so if you take a life, your life is taken. If you knock out a tooth, your tooth is knocked out, but no more. So in the Old Testament law, there's no requirement for interpersonal forgiveness. But then Jesus comes along, you know the passage, and your note says Matthew, uh, no, it's been corrected. Okay, good. Uh, I I made a mistake and we got that fixed. Uh, Jesus promotes forgiveness and accepting offense. Matthew chapter 5 You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a truth. We just read that. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Now, that's not even a brother. Remember up above in in chapter 18, Jesus said, if your brother sins again, sins. This one says, if an evil person, if a wicked person sins, so not even a brother. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you to take your shirt... Let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. This turn the other cheek, give your coat with your shirt, this go the second mile is the command to, the, to forgive a sin. If you strike me on my cheek, I'm not going to strike you back. I'm not going to do what the Old Testament said I'm entitled to do. But Jesus says, turn the other cheek. What does turning the other cheek do? is it exposes me to another injury. It it exposes me to another offense. I turn, you slap me on my right cheek, I turn my left, and you can slap me there. If you command me to go one mile, I'll go two. There's a Roman law about that. We won't go into those details today. If you take me to court, I will surrender what you demand, and, and I'll even be more gracious than your demands are. So Jesus comes along and says, you need to forgive. The examples he gives are kind of one over strikes me on the cheek turn the other cheek to him go one mile no do do double that go two miles so it seems to me that that jesus here could have been interpreted to say you only need you need to forgive once but you only need to forgive once that's not what he said but that could be implied you only got two cheeks you know turn you get slapped on one turn the other So Jesus advocates that we forgive. The, the reference is to simply provide opportunity for that to occur again, to exceed it. And Peter was there. That's from the Sermon on the Mount. Peter was there, and he remembers that Jesus said, if, if somebody hits you on the cheek, slaps you, turn the other cheek to him. And I don't know what Peter's thinking about. Was Andrew a bad brother? Was there somebody else that had been very offensive to Peter? Did, did Peter have a lot of people upset with him? Why was this a concern for him? And so then Peter's sitting there cogitating, and he thinks, hmm, let me go ask Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And he comes up with the number seven. Now, why the number seven? I don't know. Uh, the days of the week, days of creation, seven's considered the perfect number. Uh, Psalm 12 says that it's, it's uh, precious as gold refined seven times. They marched around Jericho seven days. You know, so why pick seven? I'm not sure. The text doesn't tell us. Just speculation. But he picks seven. And then Jesus says to Peter, 
No, and I, I'm thinking Peter, I'll back up a sec. I was, I'm thinking Peter was, say, was thinking, I'm going to say seven, but I sure hope Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven. Don't be ridiculous. You forgive him two times, feed him three times, at the most four, but no, Peter, you don't have to give seven times. And so Peter picks this outlandish number and goes up to Jesus, and then Jesus says, not seven times, but seven times ten, 70 times, times seven, 490 times. Jesus takes Peter's outrageous example, multiplies it by 10, and then multiplies that by the perfect number seven, 490 times. Can you imagine, Peter, how overwhelmed you would be? Jesus, I was only hoping to forgive him at the most seven, and you tell me I got to forgive him 490 times. Peter's head spinning with that. How could he do that? How could he store up all that hurt, all that frustration, all that anger, all that brokenness in his relationship for 490 times? And now Peter didn't have a computer. He, he, didn't have a, 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 he didn't have a adding machine. You watch the, the people at Walmart or one of those stores, maybe at Costco, they click you off every time you come in, right? Well, Peter didn't have one of those little counters. Maybe he had an abacus that he used to sell fish in the market, you know, and, okay, you can count up. i got to count up 490 times. But even there comes a limit, 490 times. So I'm thinking if I've been offended for, I'm thinking, okay, Jesus said 490. Well, that's 100 offenses. I've only got 390 to go. Well, that's, you know, that's some more. Okay, now I've got 280 offenses, or 290 offenses to go. Then he sends some more, 90. Down it's, it's 487. Okay, I'm about to get you 488. I'm, I'm going to 489, 490. Okay, next time, buddy, I'm getting you. Well, Jesus didn't mean 490 times in literal numbers like that. I think he was just being uh, extreme, telling Peter, you've got to forgive somebody more than you can keep track of. Forgiveness is unending, Peter. Continual forgiveness ongoing. And how did Peter experience that? How would you have experienced if you said to Jesus, forgive up to seven times? And he said, no, 490 times. I think Peter may have been shocked a little bit, may have been confused a little bit, may have been humiliated by Jesus' stern response to him. Jesus said, forgive more than you can track. And how many times is not the point But Jesus made it so that it sounded like way too many times. Forgiveness, how many times, which was Peter's question, wasn't the right question. And so Jesus responds, and typically or frequently, Jesus responds to questions in ways that the question didn't prompt. You ask him one question and he answers something more profound than you asked. And that's what he does here. Peter says, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus flips the story, the the point, with the parable by saying, how much should I forgive? And as you know, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly truth. Jesus says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his slaves, settle accounts with his slaves. So Jesus sets us up. He says, I'm going to tell you a story, 
And this story is going to help you understand something about heaven, help you understand something about God in heaven, and something about you in heaven. So that's what, what Jesus responds to him. Earthly story with a heavenly account, a, a king who wants to settle his accounts. Now, the, the little story here, it's a short story. Uh, Jesus is really one of the greatest authors in, in history. He tells amazing stories, uh, and this is one of them. The cast of characters in this little short novel here. The cast of characters, one, the king, and we know reading the story that the king is representing God to us. The slave or the steward, number one, the forgiven one, he represents us. As you read parables, we're never the good guy. As you read parables, find out who am I in this story and and how would I respond to it. Then you've got the fellow slave, the slave, the unforgiven debtor slave that owed to the first slave. Then we've got the fellow slaves, that's kind of the chorus, like in a Greek drama, the the Greek play, you have the chorus that would come in. And then the end, the little group that we don't talk about much, is, tor- is the torturers. Because Jesus says, the king said that the, the offending slave will be put into prison with torturers. Now let me tell you, this is not a proof text for purgatory. Okay? Jesus is not teaching us that if we have sin in our lives, we've been unforgiving, when we die, God will send us to purgatory where we suffer for our sins. That's not the teaching. The teaching is about how significant is our forgiveness. So if anybody wants to proof text purgatory with that one, it's just not a valid interpretation. So now, that's our characters. We're going to look at the king. First off, this is set in, the, in, in uh, Israel. Uh, in the first century, where you had a, a variety of monarchs around, Caesar, who had absolute authority, his, his word was law. Whatever he said was what was supposed to happen. Other Middle Eastern kingdoms, and the king always had absolute authority. Whatever he said was, was what was done. Uh, if he said, you die, you die. And if he said, you live, you live. He was an absolute authority over all his kingdom. And they possessed wealth beyond measure. They were absurdly wealthy. And so that's what the king is. That's who the king is. But now let's look at at the story a little bit more. Uh, He had authority. He had wealth beyond comprehension. And he was apparently generous. I can't imagine a slave receiving or being indebted for in receiving 10,000 talents. Now, we don't use talents that much. If I looked in my wallet, I don't have any talents there. I get my bills. There's never a, a, a bill for a talent. So what is a talent? If you'll look on your, if you've got notes in your Bible, it says more than 15 years of a laborer's wage. Now, I did the math. If there's any mathematicians out there and you've got your calculator on your phone out, if my, if my math is wrong, don't call it out, okay? Just, just remember Phil's not a mathematician. He did the best he could. So my math says, into number one, a talent equaled 204 metric tons of gold or silver. Now, that's a pretty big pile of gold or silver. A laborer's wage, 15 years, uh, one talent equaled 15 years of a laborer's wage. In today's society, I googled how much is a laborer's wage. The average for this part of the world is about $17 an hour. And if I do my math, 
$17 an hour, eight hours a day times a, a year times 15 years uh, comes up to being a talent is worth about $560,000. That's pretty good pay, you know, for, for 15 years. And then Jesus says, not just one talent, $560,000. 10,000 talents. And my math shows that it comes out to a rounded number of about $5.7 billion. Now, I don't know of any king that's loaning out $5.7 billion. Jesus is telling the story to be to mag, to, to tell us how profound our debt is. $5.7 billion in our count today. Then we discover that also he keeps accounts. The king isn't foolish with his funds. He, he tracks people. He knows what he gave you, and he knows what you owe, and he knows what you've paid, paid to him, and he knows the due date. And that's probably true for every one of us with our association with God. He knows who we are, he knows what we've done, and he knows our due date. He keeps accounts. And then he demands payment. In this case, he says to the slave, I'm going to sell you, I'm going to sell your wife, I'm going to sell your kids, I'm going to sell all your possessions. And even then, his debt wouldn't be paid. None of, all of that would not equal $5.7 billion, but it's the best the king could do. So the king says, you, your wife, your kids, all your possessions, all going to be sold, and I'll end the problem with you with that. I'm done with you. And the man falls down and pleads with the king to have mercy on him. Have mercy on me. And then we discover that the king not only keeps accounts, but he's also compassionate. Verses 26 and 27, but the slave, that's the, let me back up, that's not, not the right verses. Uh, 25, but since he did not have the means to repay his Lord, commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had and repayment to be made. Verse 26, so the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay. But then the king, verse 27, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave his debt. Nothing owed. The king is wealthy. The king is just with his possessions, but he's also compassionate and gracious. And he forgives the slave of his entire debt. Not some of it, all of it. He walked in owing $5.7 billion dollars. He pleads with the king to have compassion on him. The king does, and he walks out with a clean slate. Nothing, you know, a, a piece of paper that says, paid in full. It's all done. And that'd be a great place for this parable to end, wouldn't it? Jesus gets down to this point. Gee, Peter, how many times should I forgive? Well, let me tell you, Peter. Your debt would be like you owing somebody $5.7 billion. But if you come to God in compassion and repentance and, and remorse and you ask God to forgive you, he will forgive you. Great ending for, this, for the parable. But Jesus doesn't think we get it quite yet. So now we go from not just how many, that's Peter's question. Jesus answered with how much. But now we go to the, the measure, the comparison. What does it really mean? What does $5.7 billion look like for us? A friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer. He didn't have insurance. 
because they went to the emergency room, uh, eventually it was covered by the state because it wasn't an existing illness. His wife told me that they got their first bill and it was for several thousand dollars. And she said, they worried, worried, worried. How are we going to pay this kind of money? My husband can't work. We don't have insurance. How are we going to pay thousands of dollars? She said the next bill came in. It was about an inch thick, and it was for hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know what she said they did with it? She said, we just threw it away. They couldn't relate to hundreds of thousands. She'd worry about a thousand dollars, but she wasn't going to worry about hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just toss it in the garbage. Now, eventually, like I said, they were covered because of Florida law and emergency room and all that. But she, she couldn't get her head around hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I don't know that I can get my head around the fact that my sin debt to God is $5.7 billion. So what does it look like? The slave who was forgiven now goes out and finds his fellow slave, with whom he had loaned a hundred denarii. So the debtor slave, slave one, owed the king 5.7 billion. He has an associate that owes him 100 denarii. Now, you know from other parables, Matthew 20, a parable is equal, a parable, a denarii is equal, a denarius, is equal to one day's wage. And so this guy owes him a hundred days' wages. So that's a little, what, you're going to count five days a week, working, that's going to be about uh, 14 weeks worth of pay. If you do the math there again, I did my best I could, that comes up to being like $17 an hour, eight hours a day, $136 times 100, $13,600, and, and that's what he, he was owed. He owed $5 billion. he was trying to collect 13000 Now the comparison of that, if you do the math and divide those up, you get a strange figure on your calculator. But what it means is the measure of the debt that was owed to slave one by slave two was 0.02%. Two one hundredths of a percent is what he was owed. So when you compare, when I compare my offenses by others to my offense to God, mine's 0.02%. I worked with Army budgeting for a little while, pretty scary job because you can't make many mistakes, and, and I had a good, a good sergeant that took care of me for that. But in Army contracting, where they do billions of dollars, that's what they refer to as budget dust. You don't even worry about it. It's just erasures. It's, it's insignificant. 0.02%. The, the offense against me compared to the, the offense against God, 0.02%, that rounds out to zero. Nothing. The offenses against me compared to my offenses against God are nothing. And so the king here we see we're going to compare their, we compared their debt. Now let's compare their behavior. The king's willing to forgive. His generosity is seen. He forgives the forgiven slave. But the, de- the, but the debtor slave, the forgiven slave, refuses to do even that. Notice that the debtor slave, the slave number two, uses the exact same phrase. Have mercy on me and I will repay you. And instead, he begins by choking him and then he throws him into prison. Now, I don't think pay, that you get paid well in prison. So if I get, pay, if I get thrown into prison until I pay off my debts... That probably means I'm going to be in prison until I die. 
because I'm never going to earn enough money to pay off my debt. I'm in prison. It's, it's an eternal punishment. Then the measure and the comparison between the, the character of the slave and the king. The king, caring, compassionate, generous, and he calls the slave wicked. And that word wicked means worthless. In, a, in using a tool, it would be called, it's a, in a utility, it's ineffective, it won't do the job. Financially, worthless means no value. In morality, worthless means immoral. And in spirituality, it means evil. That's the word that Jesus uses in the Lord's Prayer, keep, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Same word there. You evil, wicked, sinful slave. And the summary for that is that when we're, how much we are like the forgiven slave, or the question for us is how much am I like that forgiven slave that I don't forgive? That I, I, I want my accounts paid to me on time, in full. Instead of being like the king who is willing to forgive. And then Jesus says and concludes the passage with a very difficult verse. Jesus says, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you. Uh, do the same what? Throw you in prison with torturers. My heavenly Father also will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. My heavenly Father will do the same to you if you don't forgive your brother from the heart. Once again, this reference is, this parable teaches us about God. And so here we learn something about God and his kingdom. God is a judging God. Modern theology wants to say that God is is all loving. Amen, that's what the scripture says. But they want to add to that he is all accepting. That he accepts anything. That's not true. Our popular theology promotes God as being loving without judging. But without judging, God is not just. A just God must provide judgment. They think of him as a pushover. His love, he, his love is so, so great that there's no consequence for sin. This is not the God of the Bible. He keeps accounts. There is a day of reckoning, and your day is coming. God's nature is holy and righteous. As such, he judges the acts of men and the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Light can have no fellowship with darkness, and evil can have no fellowship with God. God judges, and he judges rightly. And the last point here is forgiveness. Does your, does our forgivenness correlate with our forgivingness? Is my forgiveness, how much I'm forgiven, how well does that correlate, does that associate with my forgivingness? There's no such word. If you type that word in your computer, it'll get a little red line under it. But it's, what, it's, it's the truth. My forgivingness, how much do I forgive? If you do not forgive, that means that forgiveness is possible. If anybody comes to me in a pastoral care setting and says, chaplain, pastor, I just can't forgive this person. Yes, you can. Jesus said you can. He said, in fact, he said you can because there's a penalty if you don't. There's jeopardy if you don't. You can forgive. It's possible, and we're responsible to do it. And Jesus goes on and says, the, forgiving, the forgiveness must come from the heart. 
Whoever does not forgive his brother from his heart, from your heart. I know y'all probably gotten, I, I'm, well, I'm projecting onto you. I don't know about you guys, but I, had, I got in a little trouble on a playground or two when I was growing up. And the teacher knew if y'all were in the same kind of setting I was, shake hands and make up. And you're supposed to shake hands with the other guy and say, I'm sorry. And the other guy says, I'm sorry till I'll get you after school. You know? it, that is not the kind of forgiveness. It's not a formality forgiveness. It's, it's not just a, a phrase, I forgive you statement. It, it's not just a, some kind of menial, uh, insignificant, untrue statement. Oh, I forgive you. Jesus says your forgiveness has to come from your heart, deep with your inner being. And God knows what's in your heart. And he knows if you really meant it when you said it. God is charitable and gracious and willing to forgive. And we need to be like that also. If you do not forgive, forgiveness is possible. Forgiving has to be from the heart. And then the last part here is that the debt that we owe, remember the comparison, the measure in the story? We owe an inconceivable amount of debt, $5.7 billion. 10,000 talents of gold is what I owe. And the sin against me is, is like 0.002%. How can I refuse to forgive somebody who has sinned against me, offended me that much, when I owe so much to God? So the invitation this morning is to consider, is there a play, am I plagued with an offense against me that I've never really resolved? That I harbor hurt and resentment, anger, unforgiveness against a brother and, and sister in the church, maybe a family member, maybe a spouse? Is there something that really, when I look at it, is 0.02% compared to what I've received from God? And if it is, that's something for you to pray about. We're going to sing a song in a minute, and... Jeff said there'd be somebody waiting for after the service, but during this service, during this song, if there's a burden on your heart and you want to pray about it and you want us to pray with you, just come forward and you can kneel and, and pray at the front pew. We won't ask you what's going on. We'll just pray for you. Maybe you do need to talk to somebody. There's something going on in my life that I can't manage. And I'm here. A lot of folks are here. There'll be folks after the service, after the song. But if you... Don't delay to make something right. And you can do that this morning. Make sure that we don't hear you wicked servant when we appear before the Lord. Join me in prayer, and then I will continue with our service. Father God, I come to you now in Jesus' name. We thank you for his words. Lord, we like to preach about good and fun and happy things. But the gospel tells us, Jesus told us, that we have to forgive from our heart and that somehow our salvation is connected, our being forgiven is somehow connected to us being forgiving people. God, for folks who are here who may have a hurt that's, that's bigger than they can manage, Lord, please lay on them right now the fact that you, the forgiving God who inhabits them, wants to lead them to freedom and forgiveness. God, in every way, make us more like Jesus. And that means more forgiving. God, do this now in Jesus' name. Amen.